Please be seated. Susan, choir, musicians, thank you for leading us in that this morning. It is a wonderful hymn, and one I think we're going to grow to love in the months ahead. Quite frankly, I have to say the singing was excellent, given that's the first time we have sang it congregationally. And I would also have to say Susan was more confident you could handle it than I was. So, Susan, thank you. If you worship with us regularly or join us on our live stream broadcast on a regular basis on a Sunday morning, you will know that over these Sundays in January, we have been working our way through the epistle of James. And so if you have your Bible this morning, let's turn to James chapter 3, and we'll read together verses 1 to 12. We looked at the first part of chapter 3 last Sunday morning, and this Sunday morning we're focusing on the latter part. But we're beginning chapter 3 at verse 1, and James is focused on the taming of the tongue, and he writes these words. Now, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them a bears, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restful evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig, excuse me, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. It's hard for us to imagine that Christmas was just over four weeks ago. With all of the fun and the festivities and activities, it is always a spectacular time of year. And this past Christmas, Christmas was on a Sunday And so after all of the services we had on Christmas Eve, we also had a Christmas morning service at 11 o'clock right here in the sanctuary. And much of that service was focused on the children. And so I asked Ruth and Michael if I could open some of my presents from Santa in front of the children and in front of the congregation, and they readily agreed. Now, over the years, I have asked Ruth and Michael from time to time for new pajamas, And I'm very particular about my pajamas. And my favorites are Spider-Man. 
And that's a copy of my Spider-Man pajamas, which I really like, and they are extra cool, I have to tell you. And this year I thought, well, should I ask, or last Christmas, should I ask for new Spider-Man pajamas? And then I thought, ooh, here's an opportunity to change things a little. And so I didn't ask for Spider-Man, I asked for Iron Man pajamas. And I wanted Iron Man because Iron Man had a little heart trouble. And if you're familiar with Iron Man, you know his heart was a little wounded in heart. And so they took it out and put in an arc reactor. And that's where all his superpowers came from. And so Iron Man is one of my favorite heroes. And so there he was. So I thought, well, maybe I could get his face in the front of my pajamas this year. And I couldn't wait to see what was coming. And sure enough, on Christmas Sunday morning, when I opened them up in front of the congregation and the children, I got bright red pajamas, and this is the image that was on front. <laughs> now, it's going to take a couple of you another couple of minutes to get that, but that's okay. It's right there. Thank you. Someone in the choir has just got it. They've just got through to the choir. Now, Christmas is, of course, a time of great fun. And Christmas before, Christmas 2021, I asked for the kind of gift that you don't receive regularly. And it was the kind of gift I will keep for the rest of my life. And it was about the size of the nail on my little finger, and it was a silver coin. And I mentioned it to you on Christmas Eve, and there is an image of the coin I asked for. And on the left is George III, but if you look on the right, you can just make it out above the crown. You can see where the date is, and it says 17, and then after the crown, 76. And when you have a, cra a coin that says George III, 1776, we know the significance of that coin. And of course, as soon as I got it, I was thrilled to receive it, and I examined it in great detail. I held it under a very strong light so I could see every mark on it to fully realize the significance of what I had. And its age is significant in and of itself, and of course, the historical value as well. And my point in all of that is this, that on a Sunday morning, when we gather around God's Word, and we pause long enough to stop and look at it, sometimes word by word, sometimes verse by verse, line by line, we slow down long enough to appreciate exactly what we have and what we also discover and know from our experience on Sunday morning is this, that often God will shine the light of his love on a passage of Scripture, and that passage of Scripture comes to life and speaks into our lives. And that's my trust and prayer for us this morning. As we come to James chapter 3, and most of you are familiar enough to know that James chapter 3 is one of the hardest hitting, most challenging, and practical chapters in the epistle of James. And that's saying something because James is a practical epistle from the beginning all the way through to the end. 
And James is a master illustrator, and we saw this last Sunday morning, painted in the mind of his first reader in the first century, and also as in the 21st century, he painted the picture of a horse. And he said a horse can be controlled by a bit that is fitted into the mouth of the horse. It's about five or six inches wide. It sits well back in the horse's mouth. And you control the horse, of course, through the reins by controlling its head. And think of that. A powerful, impetuous animal over a thousand pounds in weight can be controlled by a little piece of metal five or six inches wide. And James goes on to paint another picture, and he says, imagine a ship. And as a ship moves through strong seas and heavy winds, the pilot of the ship can control the direction through a rudder. But also remember this. In order to be controlled, the ship has to be moving forward. And we'll touch on that in a minute or two. And as James paints these pictures, he then likens them to controlling the tongue. And he says, remember, the tongue is one of the smallest organs in the body. It's certainly not the smallest. It's one of the glands up in the brain, but it's one of the smallest. And he says this, if we are to live out our faith in every aspect of our lives, we need to, from time to time, concentrate on the tongue and control it. Now, with all of that being said, let me mention, and I promise I'll come back to James in a minute, let me mention the bookmark that we issued a couple of Sundays ago, and most of you now have it. If you're here for the first time and don't have it, you can pick it up in uh, Memorial Hall as you leave this morning, or if you're watching online, you can go to firstpressgreenville.org and download it and have it at home. And there's a list of Sundays on one side with the passage of Scripture we'll be looking at, so you can use that in your personal devotion each day during the week. And on the back, there are five questions. And if you, if you were with us that first Sunday we started James, one of the questions we asked was this, what is the most important way that I will, by God's grace, try to make this year different from last year? And I wonder... Some of us, in reading this passage, pausing and examining it, and have to start to apply it to our lives, are wondering if in the area of the tongue is one area I need to change from last year if I'm ever to grow and mature in my faith. And here is James challenging his readers because James knows I suspect from his own experience, and I think we will identify with this, that there are moments when we find ourselves in an argument, and before we know it, that argument becomes very heated. And then it accelerates to another level entirely. And afterwards, when we have time to reflect, we shake our heads and think, why on earth did I have to say that? Why didn't I just back off? Why didn't I simply cool down? Why did I participate in that? Why did I say this, that, and the other? I know better. Sometimes when couples come to see me, they're in a crisis. And eventually I tease out of them, what are the problems? Are you willing to address the problems? 
Are you serious about doing the hard work to resolve the problem? And sometimes couples will say to me this, that when they are involved in an argument, it's no longer a discussion. It usually begins with something simple, routine, mundane, and before they know it, it's ratcheted up, and it's accelerated to another level and another level. And they will say to me, I don't know why I said it, but I then said. And he will say, yes, I said. And so they'll tell me exactly what's going on. And what happens is they begin to use universal language. You always put me down. You never support me. You consistently treat me with contempt and indifference. And they spend their time what's called firebombing each other. And rather than focus on what the problem is, each other become the problem. Ever been there? Ever become so angry in the midst of a heated debate and discussion, you look back and think, I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I could have controlled what I was saying. And if you are finding yourself more and more falling into the trap of insulting, demeaning, and treating people in your family, or perhaps in a work environment, you're treating them with contempt, there's every possibility your tongue is out of control. And that's exactly what James is saying here. In fact, he uses the example that the tongue is so small, it's like a spark that sets off a forest fire. And if you've ever been close to a forest fire, that's a toxic environment in every sense. It is out of control. If you've ever been burned, you will know that it takes weeks, sometimes months of healing before folks are back to where they should be. And if we are to be Christ-like in every area of our lives... It includes the tongue. Now, James in verse 2 says this, we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his body in check. Now, James intentionally uses the language of stumble. And let me explain what I mean. James is envisaging someone just walking along, going about their daily business and activity, and suddenly they stumble, they trip over something, they look back, don't see what it is, but they have stumbled. And sometimes sin is like that. It catches us off guard. We find ourselves stumbling into it. But the difficulty for some of us is this, and there are days when I put myself in this situation. I stumble and stumble, and it becomes so much part of me, I no longer think of it as stumbling. It becomes routine and daily. It becomes part of who I am, and I have to excuse myself by simply saying, okay, it's just who I am. And in fact, it's not who I am. I excuse it, and I justify it. It's no big deal. I'm not hurting anyone, really. And James is saying, please, please, please be careful. When you begin to excuse your behavior, when you begin to say it is no big deal, when you begin to say it's just my character, it's a personality trait, Christ never calls us to behave like that. If you have ever been in a court of law, you will know that 
in the early stages of those very formal proceedings, a judge will read out a list of charges. And as the list of charges are read and then complete, the judge will then ask guilty or not guilty. And when it comes to the moral and spiritual standards of the tongue, let me share a list of charges. Dishonesty, unkindness, impurity, blasphemy, pride, criticism, exaggeration, temper, greed, slander, boasting, and many others. Guilty or not guilty? And I would have to tell you, mea culpa. And there are times I have to go back to Ruth, colleagues I work with, and say, I'm sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. I was wrong. Please forgive me. That's how powerful the tongue is. Now, it's not enough simply to point out what the charges are. We have to be realistic and begin to say, well, how do I resolve this? How do I stop it? How do I change? Allow me to be able to say, this is the one thing this year that I will change by the grace of God. Let me paint another illustration, if I can use James as an example of how to illustrate Back in 2019, during the Baton Rally race in the women's four by 100 sprint at the IWF World Championships, the Chinese team were one of six running that day. They were right in the middle of the pack. The first three 100 meters had gone like clockwork. And you could see their professionalism and the training and the athleticism coming to the fore. But at the handover for the final relay, one of the athletes held out the baton. There was a fumble. It's difficult to see exactly on YouTube who was at fault. There was a fumble, and the baton was dropped, and the athlete ran another 10, 25 yards, then realized she didn't have the baton, turned around, ran back to her colleague, her colleague and her looked at each other for a couple of minutes. One of them lifted it up. They tried to do it again, then realized they were outside of the passing zone. And then they had to back up and run to the passing zone, tried again, dropped it again, and then got into a discussion and a confusion. And eventually one of them kind of threw her hands down and off she went sprinting towards the final line without the baton. Now, please remember what's happening here. Here are two of the world's finest sprinters. They were on their way to the Olympic championship. There's a distinct possibility that they could have won that world championship. And yet they fumbled and dropped it. And when it comes to the sins of the tongue... We never reach a place where we are so professional that we're incapable of sinning in our use of the tongue. 
The Apostle Paul put it this way. He says, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Let's be realistic. But also, let's be prayerful and careful and thoughtful. In other words, if we are constantly demeaning those we love, those around us, when in unguarded moments we are dismissive of them, treating them with contempt, we need to think again. And here is James saying, please, please, please be careful because what you say and how you say it can wound and demean something in a manner so debilitating they might never get over it. Never get over it. And James is saying, be careful. Be careful in the use of the tongue. Now, having said all of that, Let's also think of the positive use of the tongue. Imagine you are nine years old in elementary school. Science is not your favorite subject. There is a science project you are involved in. You have always been useless at science, but you go home, tell your folks you have a project to do, and they help you and encourage you. And by the time you are ready to show and tell your science project, your teacher takes one look at it, asks how it works, you press the button, and suddenly there's a volcano flowing over, and your teacher takes one look at it and says, this is spectacular. Well done. I knew you could do it. I knew it all along. You have put so much work and effort into this. Thank you. This is really good. We're going to put it on display here beside the window and let your friends in class see it. And you know that nine-year-old is getting taller by the second because their confidence and their self-esteem begins to rise because they understand they can do it. And the tongue can also have that effect. It can build us up. It can inspire us. It can strengthen us in so many ways. The 14-year-old in the semifinals of basketball scores, and the coach said, I always knew you could do it. You've come on so much this year. What a difference that makes in the life of a 14-year-old. What a difference it makes between husband and wife to hold each other and say, I love you. I care for you. And with wider family and friends and people we know, I am praying for you. Mark Twain, one of our finest writers, said this, I can live for two months on a good compliment. And we're smiling because we know it's true for us as well, isn't it? When someone says, well done, thank you. What a difference that makes. And you may well be saying, okay, Richard, I hear what you're saying, and I think I get it. But what do I do when I am the one on the receiving end of the criticism? What do I do when I'm the one who's been beaten down and wounded and hurt? When I'm the one who's taken for granted and demeaned? 
What do I do then? How do I deal with those wounds? How do I begin to heal? And it may be you're coming out of a relationship and that relationship did not go the direction you wanted and it's fractured and broken. What do you do when you're going through a nasty divorce? And one side is painting the other in the darkest possible color. And you're on the receiving end and you know what's being described simply isn't true. How do you respond? What do you do? How do you begin to heal again? Well, let me be clear. The only relationship that determines who you are and defines the direction of your future is your relationship with Him. What others say about you is really neither here nor there. Because those of us who love you most and are closest to you and love you best know you for who you are. And all of the rumor and the gossip won't make an ounce of difference because you are confident in your relationship with Him. What did we sing moments ago? I am confident of this. Confident of this. That He who began a work in you will carry it out until the day of Christ Jesus. Why do we know that? Why can we be confident of it? Simply this. He loves you because He loves you because He loves you because He loves you. And no one else's opinion matters. All of the rumors and the gossip and the speculation because when folks can no longer control you, they will seek to control what everyone else thinks. Well, let them get on with it. Do you honestly think if you control a thousand pound horse with six inches of metal, the Holy Spirit can't handle this? Are you kidding me? Of course he can handle it. He's sufficient for absolutely every area of your life. And healing and growth and future begin to take place when you stop picking at the scabs on the wound and allow the healing grace and balm of the love of God. That's when things begin to change. Two quick points and we'll wrap up our study for this morning. Almost at the beginning of our study this morning, we asked, what is the most important way that I will, by God's grace, try to make this year different from last Number one, stop focusing on the past. Learn from it. Build on it. But don't live there. Number two, control what you say and how you say it. And allow the mighty, energizing, powerful work of the Holy Spirit help you control your tongue. And sometimes you quite simply have to stop it stop it. Do not behave like that. Don't let it determine you because it's no longer stumbling. It's become part of you. Stop it. And if that's our first question on our list from our bookmark, 
Remember the last question. Are there anxieties, attitudes, doubts, emotions, behavioral patterns, thought process that you need to leave behind for the year ahead? Close the door. Turn the key. Throw the key away. And by God's grace, profoundly dependent on Him, you can move into a new year. You don't need cool Iron Man pajamas for a new year. Your power and confidence and rest is found in Him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning. In this week ahead, please challenge us in the areas of our lives that need to change, particularly when it comes to taming the tongue. Help us simply to stop it. For others of us, wounds of the past need to be re-stitched up again. And we need to stop pulling at them and injuring ourselves and not allowing the past to to determine who we are or to demean us. But help us, please, O God, to rest in you, for you alone determine our future. And help us, please, to put down our anxious thoughts, our fears, our concerns, our behavior patterns, thought processes that are wounding and hurting us. And help us to rest in you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.